<laughs> Having a slight wardrobe change there. Good morning, everyone. Oh, man, I love worship. Man, God's presence, so rich and real. It's good to be with you this morning. Are you ready to break into God's Word today? As we continue studying together, amen, amen, we are in this series, Testify. And uh, I, will get, I will get it right. Kids, kids, students, middle school students, you are released to Firestarters. Have a great time in Firestarters. Uh, we, are, we are excited for what God is, is doing in your lives. Thank you, Pastor Donnie. Man, one of these days I'm going to do it and everybody's going to be like, he remembered, it's going to be great. But back to where we're at, breaking into God's word, testify. Um, we, we just started, kicked off the series last week, and I believe God really planted something in our hearts, and I hope that today this takes us to the next level. I believe that God uh, can use what we take today. If we truly take it and plant it in our hearts and say, I'm going to apply it, we will look back on this moment in time in the future and d- down the road and say, that is a moment where everything changed. A moment where God truly turned my paradigm around and changed the trajectory of how he's been using my life. And so uh, today, this word I have challenged me as I was preparing it this week. And I pray that it breaks through into our hearts, that that it doesn't just come out uh, off the front of this platform and off the front of our forehead, but plants itself deep into our hearts. And that we're challenged by it. So uh, I'm excited about uh, where we're going here. This series, of course, is based off of the Great Commission that happens at the end of Matthew, where Jesus tells his disciples before he goes back to the father he says he says uh, now go into all the world preaching the gospel uh, making disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and so this commission was given to the disciples but it would have been an impossibility if the promise in acts chapter one didn't come through acts chapter one verses verse eight he says but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and then you will be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria and to the ends of the earth And so the only way that we can be witnesses, the only way that we can do what Jesus called us to do is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And last week, we really sat in that, what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, how we need the Holy Spirit. It can't just be that we feel guilty enough all the time that we need to to witness that it happens, but rather that we are prompted by the Holy Spirit. And so... um, Today we are going to take some of the, we took a lot of the spiritual application of how we need to be empowered, but now we're going to take some of the practical application of how we're empowered and how that plays out in our life. Now I have mentioned in the past uh, that I am, my prowess as a fisherman is not good. I am, I am like fish deterrent. Do not take me fishing if you want to catch fish. Actually that's not true. You should take me fishing because they will all go to your line, not mine. Um, Last summer my dad and I went deep sea fishing and he caught I think more than twice as many fish as I caught. Yes, he enthusiastically is nodding. As, as, even more. Glory, glory. As a matter of fact, the fishing lines they gave us had two hooks on them. One on the end and then one like three feet up. So there was like twice the chance to catch fish. It didn't mean anything for me. Two times zero is still zero. But for him, I kid you not, he'd hook a fish. He'd go, I got one. And he'd be reeling it up. He goes, another one grabbed the second hook on the way up. And he caught two fish at a time. And I'm still sitting there. Just, it was very sad. But uh, it, was, it wasn't sad. It was sad for some of us. But uh, uh, so a few years, several years back, my in-laws were visiting. And this is kind of along the same lines of fishing. This is uh, creatures of the sea. I thought, I'm going to take them crabbing. 
because I, we lived in Newport for five years. I had fond memories of crabbing with my, my family. There's a pier that goes out into the bay there, and we'd throw the crab pots in. And in my recollection, you literally throw them in, and you can't pull it in fast enough because it's just overflowing with, with all these crabs. And it was just going to be an amazing experience. I was going to impress my in-laws with my amazing fishermanness, and uh, it was going to be great. So we go out there, and first of all, it was so bitter cold, I was miserable. And I'm an Oregonian. I mean, it was like the rain, but sideways. It was cold. They're from Guam. They're used to 85-degree beach. We're like, welcome to the 40-degree beach, you know, button up. And it was, gonna, it was miserable. It was cold. We get out there, though. I'm like, we are going to have a great time, and it will all make itself better when they see how many crabs that we are going to catch here. So I got out my crab pot, and it was one of those cage-style crab pots, and I wired in my chicken. Got it all ready to go. Delicious feast for these crabs. And... Uh, I pick it up, and I, I make sure everyone's noticing, and I hoist it into the bay. And I'm excitedly waiting. Any minute now, it's going to start filling with delicious crabs. And uh, Hosanna goes, Brent! And I'm like, honey, it will fill. I try promise. And she goes, no, the rope! I forgot to tie it to the railing before I threw it into the sea. And it goes, and I, before I could grab it, boom, it's gone into the water. And everyone's sitting there in this bitter cold rain, disappointed as our crab pot is now beneath the waves. And, and to this day, Hosanna still makes me feel guilty about it. As a matter of fact, she brought it up this weekend. She said, remember that crab pot that's like crab purgatory under the ocean now? Like crabs are going in and not getting out. She's like, remember that? I'm like, what do you want me to do? Scuba dive down and get it out? I don't know. It, but it was like, it went from like triumph to, to just embarrassment. I am just not a fisherman. But I know we have fishermen in here, guys that can catch fish, the guys that just know the trade. Um, and so today, we're going to be kind of taking a look at that and, and, and wh- how that actually applies in our life and what that means as followers of Christ. So believe, me, believe it or not, this does have practical applications. So we start with Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew four eighteen. 18. Um, Jesus is walking along the shore. And we mentioned this briefly last week. Jesus is walking along the shore and he sees... Peter, and he sees Andrew, and it says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and they follow him, this changes their paradigm. It changes everything. Peter and Andrew were professional fishermen. They knew the trade. They had probably been raised since childhood fishing in these same waters, in the same spots. Their fathers were probably fishermen, and their fathers before them were probably fishermen. They would have known the time of day that you were supposed to fish. They would have known the spots, the good spots to go to to catch fish. They would have known what equipment they needed. They would have known the techniques. They would have known how to, how to lay the nets out in the appropriate way. They would have known how to retrieve the nets in the right way so that they don't lose fish. They would have known all of the jargon, all of the systems to catch fish. But when Jesus said, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, there was a connection for them that they weren't just getting a change in title. It wasn't like, oh, we're catching fish now, we just catch people, same concept. It wasn't like that suddenly they just changed the nameplate on their desk, you know, from fisherman to fisher of men. It wasn't that simple. When Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, the word make there is the same as our English word, which means to actually train and create, to, to, to actually come along and, and uh, make ready and prepare you for So there was a preparation for being a fisher of men. There was systems, just like fishing for fish, there was a preparation and creation of a fisher of men. So they went along and followed this rabbi into what his calling was. They learned how to become fishers of men. There was a practical 
application and means of doing that. See, this is, this is interesting because as Christians, we don't t- typically do it the same way. If you were to go fishing, and I was, I was to say, take me fishing, you would ask, you'd want to know a few things. Well, what body of water are we going to? Are we going to a lake? Are we going to a river? Are we going to the ocean? That's going to affect the equipment you bring. What kind of fish are we going for? Are we going for bass? Are we going for salmon? Are we going for, for trout? Are we going for, uh, you know, halibut? What are we going for? Because that's going to affect, you don't want to bring like uh, a, a little trout pole to catch a sturgeon. You, 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 you would change your bait and your lures depending on what you're going for. It would all vary. It would depend. You, you would not never imagine going, well, I'm going to go fishing, and you just go to the tackle store or the tackle section of the store and just start grabbing whatever. You know, oh, I'll just get some weight. I'll just get some, some, some line, you know, some leader. I, I don't know. Who, who cares how many pound tests? 50 pound tests, 100 pound tests, whatever. You're just throwing it on your reel, and you just throw it into a body of water and expect, hopefully, you'll catch something. However, as believers called to be fishers of men like Jesus called Peter and Andrew, how often do we go with no plan into our world where we're called to be fishers and have no real plan, just kind of hope for the best. We'll see what happens. If God means for me to catch a fish, he'll put one on the line. And we drop the line in the water and, and hope, hope and wait. Hope and wait that we'll, 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 we'll see something. But rather than being specific in what we're fishing for, we're kind of just in this vague kind of, we'll throw some bait or a lure out there kind of thing. But, but we go out so unprepared unpre- and without purposefulness. Maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe if God wants something, he'll bring me a fish. But, but, but Jesus trains these disciples in how to be fishers of men. I will make you a fisher of men. So, so when Jesus trains his disciples, he leads them to this. But then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he gives this list... It's not just that he names some locations off, off the cuff. It's not like he's like, you'll go to Albany and uh, Sweet Home and uh, New York, Houston. There was purpose behind what he said. There was actual intent. It wasn't off the cuff. This wasn't filler. It was strategic. And Jesus giving the dire- these directives to these disciples. And so, as many of you know, as you've probably read or heard, that these areas that Jesus mentioned are concentrically larger areas. There's Jerusalem. And then Judea is kind of the larger area outside of that. It's a little bit to the northeast. Then, then Samaria is even further away and a little bit bigger. And then to the ends of the earth. Well, that's, that's a lot. That's pretty much everything. I think that covers it. So it's this concentrically larger area. But I think it's important that we understand some things. So yes, that would be like someone telling us Springfield, then Eugene, then Lane County, then Oregon, to the ends of the world, and so on. But, but it's important that we understand something. First of all, Acts 1-8 gives us this list of things. But I think subconsciously, or we just add the word then in between each of those where there's a comma. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But the word then never appears there. This is not a chronological list. Sometimes we think, well, once we take care of our Jerusalem, then we can start looking further ahead. But we're to reach the world now, too. We're to reach our Jerusalem as we are reaching the rest of the world. So there's not a chronological kind of expectation of this list. It's not and then and then and then. It's this and this and this and this. So, so we are called to reach our world. And so as we do this, but we, it's also important that we understand what Jerusalem is. Because often the way I have interpreted this is Jerusalem is my closest social circle. The people I most often interact with, the people that, that uh, I connect with. But that's not what Jesus was talking about, actually. If Jesus had intended that, he wouldn't have told the disciples to start in Jerusalem. Because he would have told them to start in Galilee. 
You see, most of Jesus' disciples were from Galilee. And let me tell you, Jerusalem and Galilee are very different places. Jerusalem and Galilee are very different. Galilee was, was home for most of the disciples where they would have had those natural social connections and all these things. But Jerusalem was drastically different from Galilee. Economically, politically, socially, their values. Galilee was kind of seen as hicks. Jerusalem was the, the, the metropolitan area. And, and so these disciples have been displaced into Jerusalem and Jesus says, Jerusalem. Uh, and, and it's just a very different place. As a matter of fact, there's a New Testament scholar by the name of R.T. France, who ironically is from England. But uh, his name is R.T. France, and he said this. He said, uh, a Jewish Galilean in first century Jerusalem was not among his own people. It wasn't like I'm among my people. It, rather, he was as much a foreigner as an Irishman in London or a Texan in New York. His accent would immediately mark him out as not one of us. So these people weren't among their regular crew. As a matter of fact, we remember the story of Peter being questioned when, when Jesus was on trial. And they're like, your, uh, your accent betrays you. You're truly a Galilean, a follower of Jesus. So, so they, they were not where they would normally be. They were among people that wa- weren't their norm group. So what then, if this is what, who Jesus is telling is his Jerusalem, what's our Jerusalem? What's that supposed to mean for us? Is Jerusalem our own family and our own ethnic group? Yeah. Is it, is it our neighborhood and our social circles we, we travel in or our interest groups? Absolutely. However, Jerusalem is not just your people or at the place of your greatest comfort. It's the strategic place that God has you at this moment in time. The disciples were in Jerusalem and Jesus said, go where you're at right now. Go to where you're at right now. Go where This includes your close relationships, but it also includes all those that God brings into your sphere. Those that don't align with you politically. People that don't share your same background or your same experiences. People that you wouldn't always count as your type. These are the people that are our Jerusalem. And so, and so we're called to go to these people. In, in John chapter 4 then, this is where we're going to pretty much spend most of our time, is a story about Jesus. And he gives a beautiful example of reaching our Jerusalem, where he's at. So if you have your Bibles, this is where we're going to primarily be in John chapter 4. And it's an incredible story, and it's a long story. So we're going to read. There's going to be moments where we kind of jump ahead, but uh, it's primarily uh, we're going to re- read, the, read the majority of this story. So uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Jesus is traveling, and it says this. So he, being Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So, this is an interesting story. Let me start off by saying they're passing through Samaria. You may remember a few weeks ago we talked about what Samaritans were. Samaritans weren't just that they were considered half-breeds. It was a very racist situation where, where, where Jews would, would marry uh, people that were not from their, uh, 
their, their direct lineage. God had told them back in the Old Testament to not intermarry with other groups. And because this group had intermarried, they were viewed down upon. They were viewed as, as just scum. But not just because of that. It wasn't the only reason. But if you remember all the way back to when Israel was taken into captivity in Babylon, Babylon's system of controlling people was to disperse them. It was called a dispersion. They would send them to other parts of the world so that they couldn't work together and collaborate to overthrow their overrulers. So they would move people all around and guess who they moved into this section of Israel right here? None other than Samaritans. So Samaritans were despised because they were considered not equal or good enough to to Jewish people. They were half Gentile, half Jew, but also they were living in what should have been, they believed, holy land that was that was given to them by God. It says that they were he he it says here that Jesus was approaching a plot of land that was given to Joseph by his father. So this was supposed to be like the, the Israelites' land, and so they, they hated the, the Samaritans so much so that they wouldn't even pass through their land, even though it was the most direct route. The most direct route to get from point A to point B, the straight line, they would go all the way around it just so they didn't have to go through Samaria. That's how much they hated these people. But Jesus, for one reason or another, it says he needed to go through Samaria. I don't know if it was the prompting of God or what, but it was something that would, would have been not pleasant for a lot of Jews, but they traveled through, he was traveling through Samaria, and he looked for an opportunity in, the, in this inconvenience to be missional. And our calling is to look for opportunities to be missional. As we go through our days, we need to be praying that God would provide opportunities for us and open our eyes to the chances to, to share Jesus, even if the cause of that is an inconvenience. Normally when I'm inconvenienced, I'm not immediately going, God, where are you telling me to go and share, share the love of Jesus with someone? I'm frustrated. I'm like, how do I get past this inconvenience? Flat tires, whatever it might be. But Jesus took this situation where he had to go through an area that would have been considered inconvenient. He took it as an opportunity to bring good news. He took it as an opportunity to be missional. And that is what we need to do. In, in cir- circumstances, whatever the, 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 the situation, look for opportunities to share the good news. I wonder how many of these pass us by and we don't even realize or we don't even notice because we're not looking for it. We're not looking for the opportunity to share Christ. Have you ever uh, bought a car? Maybe it's brand new, maybe it's new to you. And after you buy it, you realize tons of other people are buying your car. You see it everywhere. You're like, why are all these people buying the same car as me? You see it all over the place. It's not because there's necessarily more of that car out there. You're more aware of it. You're more acutely aware of it because you've got that car now, right? You, you are now uh, seeing it all the time. It's in front of you. In the same way, if we continually put in front of us a prayer that says, God, open my eyes to see where there is an opportunity to share the good news. Open my eyes to see where I can be missional. Prompt me with opportunities. Holy Spirit, guide me. Give me moments where I can actually reach out and, and, and make it at the forefront of my consciousness, Lord, to be more attentive. Bring the pe- person in front of me that would be an opportunity for me to share. I believe when we continually put that in front of us, when we continually make it a priority, we become so much more aware of it. You become so much more acutely attuned to what the opportunities to share Jesus with people are. Another thing we see that Jesus does is he creates an intentional interaction here. He intentionally creates an interaction. He, he comes across this woman at a well and he intentionally starts a conversation. Hosanna has a favorite grocery store she likes to go to. We, we, uh, we used to live over on this side of Springfield. We moved way over to the other side in Thurston, but she will still drive all the way across town to go to her grocery store. 
I, th- I think it's, you know where everything's at. It's your grocery store. I think some of us can, can understand that. Um, but that's her grocery store. But while she's, she's gone there, she developed a relationship with one of the cashiers there. And she has, has began to f- feel this calling of just connecting with her. And so she would go through that line, even if the line was even longer than all the others. I'm sure it looks crazy to other people. She like goes in the longest line. But she gets in that line just to talk to this one particular woman. And as she does, she gets the chance to say, hey, is there anything I can be praying with you about? She asks, she's, she's asked her, um, what's going on in your life? She connects with her. She's invited her to church, and she starts to just make a connection because she feels God prompting her to invite her to, to connect with her. And when they see each other, she, the cashier's countenance would change. She would recognize her. They know each other by name. It's intentional. It's purposeful. It's not by accident. It's not just looking for the shortest line. Maybe sometimes we need to look for the longest line because it's an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Creating purposeful moments of connection. You might ask, and this is a good question because it's one I've asked myself, and, and if I've asked myself, then it's a great question. You might ask yourself, isn't that just loving people with an agenda, though? Should we love people? Shouldn't we love people just without an agenda, just for the sake of love? And I grappled with this. I've been thinking about this. And here's what I've arrived at. If we truly love people, And we genuinely know, we believe with all our heart, we know that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. And that we hold hold on to the answer that's the hope for their eternal soul, their eternity. Would it be love to withhold it? Love compels us to share. Love compels us to share. If I knew you were walking down the street towards me and I look and there is a bear around the corner. And I want to tell you, there's a bear around the corner, and you've got to be aware of this. This is, seriously, I need to tell you. And you're like, we are in the middle of town, there are no bears around the corner. And no matter how much I try to get it across, I will do everything in my power to keep that bear from getting you, right? I will do everything in my power to convince you that there's a bear. And so there's something that compels us. If we know truth, if we know that the eternity matters, whether or not that per- person believes it or not, I would say without apology that we should love with an agenda, that people would come to know Jesus, that people would find eternal salvation. Now, does this mean that our interactions and our relationships are just a farce? Does this mean that, that, it's, just, that, it's, that it's insincere because we're all always going for something? I think that... It, It's very important that we understand that these are genuine and true relationships. It's not manipulation. It's true care and love. Um, As a matter of fact, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul warns the church about that in chapter 4. He says, We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to uh, trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. So he says, that's not what we're about. We're not about underhanded ways of getting people to to come to salvation. We aren't about tricking people. That's not not our goal whatsoever. Uh, It's 15 years ago now that uh, I uh, was an intern in a middle school ministry, youth group. And the, the youth pastor said, Brent... Uh, our church has a day camp with grade schoolers, and they're going on a, on a field trip, and I want you to go with them so you connect, can connect with the fifth graders and invite them to youth group, to, to middle school in the fall. And I said, okay. And so I went off on this field trip, and I saw the most beautiful woman in the world. And I was like, wow. One of the leaders, not one of the kids, one of the leaders. 
I just, I just realized that needs to be clarified. One of the leaders. And I was like, wow, she's neat. And, uh, and I thought she was just the coolest thing. And so I followed her around like a sick puppy the whole day. Just the whole day I followed her around, asking her, I'm sure, just the most mundane, annoying questions, getting to know her. And, and, and as time went on, I, fu- I tricked her into going on dates with me, really trickily. And, uh, and, and as time went on and our relationship continued, I, I started to learn things about her. I would learn uh, how she liked to take her coffee. I learned about her favorite movies. I, 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 it, and, and, and you might say, did it really matter to me that I, that I knew what her favorite ice cream flavor was? Did it really matter to me the, the, the pets that she had as a child, that I knew what those were? Yeah, it did. It really did matter to me. It mattered to me a lot because I wanted to know about her. I cared about her. But can I tell you that it all had a greater motivation? The greater motivation was that I would get to know her more, but ultimately that she would fall in love with me. And it worked. <laughs> there was a greater motivation. Those things mattered. It was real. I wasn't, it wasn't a farce. It wasn't that I was leading her on in some way or, or manipulating her. It's because I was moving towards a purpose. In the same way with our relationships with people that we create, with the purpose of bringing them to Christ. Is it, is it manipulation to truly say, can I pray for you and care about that and, and, and connect with them and, and cry with them and, and celebrate with them? No. But ultimately, our goal is that they know Jesus in the way we know Jesus. That they hear truth and they hear hope in the way that we hold hope and truth. That is the whole goal. That is the whole thrust of this. And with our neighbors, and with our coworkers, and with our friends, with the beautician you go to, or the nail technician that you regular, or your mechanic, or the teller at the bank, to intentionally have repeat interactions, repeat moments where we can bring Jesus to them. Being purposeful, getting to know them and genuinely care about them. That's our goal overall should be that people can find, that we should find opportunities to share the hope that Jesus is. And so Jesus starts this interaction with this this woman at the well. And continuing on in verse 9, it says, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Jesus knows the gift that he wants her to have. He's starting this conversation, this relationship with purpose that she could have this gift. Moving on, they have a little conversation about this water. Down to verse 13, it says, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get this water. So Jesus opens a dialogue with this woman. He starts a conversation. And in our lives, we need to commit to the conversation. We need to commit and invest in conversation with people. What I'm doing right now is pretty much a monologue, right? Other than the boisterous amens I'm getting, it's pretty much one, one way, right? It's pretty much one directional. I talk, you listen. But Jesus opens a dialogue with this woman. It's a conversation. Jesus had a lot of preaching moments. He had the Sermon on the Mount, lots of times where he was, he was expressing to the crowds. But this was a conversation that he opened up. He listened and he responded. He committed the time. He committed the energy. 
Because people know that they are valued when they're heard. Jesus uses this opportunity to let her know that she's valued because he listens. And oftentimes I think when we have this burden of I need to tell you something or I have information you need to hear, we try to push right through it to just tell them the information. I've got something to tell you. I've got to get through this. Or especially if we're nervous. I, I just got to get to it. I got to tell you this information. But Jesus pauses. He has this conversation and he, he actually uses the well that they're sitting by as an illustration. He says, you drink from this well and you're going to come back here again tomorrow. And you're going to come the day after that and you're always going to have to come back because you're going to be thirsty again. And really, he's using it as an illustration. He's, he's saying, you're going to the things of this world. You keep coming back to it and it keep, you keep coming back and finding yourself unsatisfied. You, come to, you try to fill your life with things in this world. You try to fill your life with entertainment. You try to fill your life with success. You try to fill your life with, with projects. But it, you keep coming up empty and, and you're, you're searching. And you keep finding yourself thirsty. But you, I can tell you something. I can give you something that will satisfy you. And you won't need to keep coming back and trying to fill that void. I can give you something that brings true satisfaction. And, and he directs her life to the true fulfillment she can find. And, and he uses... A situation in which she has need in her life. He uses a situation, a real world object, a point of need to connect it to hope. So when we're interacting with people in our lives, when we're having those conversations, it's not about being robotronic and and going through the the Roman road, you know, and, and I meet you and I tell you this, 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 but connecting with people where they're at. Jesus had dozens and dozens and dozens of interactions throughout the New Testament stories and and times where he talked to people. And not one of those conversations was a copy-paste of the other. Each one was unique, connecting with the person, hearing their story, and then bringing them life, connecting with with maybe something that that they have in their life. Maybe they're a farmer, maybe they're, they're collecting water, maybe they're a fisherman. But our job is to really, truly listen. You know, that you've heard this, the saying that people don't really care what you know until they know that you care. We might have a whole lot of information, and it may be true information, but no one wants to hear it unless they know you truly care about them. Listen to their story. Commit the time. Commit the energy, because some people have a whole lot of story to tell. And listen to the story. So Jesus tells her, continuing on in verse 16, Jesus says, Go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So Jesus speaks something to this woman. Very honestly, very straightforward. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't burn the bridge. We are called to build bridges, not burn them. And Jesus builds a bridge to this woman. He builds a bridge. There couldn't be much more that different that could separate these two people, this woman and Jesus. This, they were culturally separated, completely different cultures. They were divided by religion. They were divided by gender. They were divided by their morality. Jesus could have come in, very right, rightfully so, and said, Immoral woman, if you die tonight, you are going to hell. That could have been his opening line right there. And it would have been true. But Jesus came in with a gentleness and a humility and attacked. A tact. No, he didn't attack. He with tact. A lot of clarification I need to do this morning. I, I, I see. He came in and he, he spoke with tact. Tact is having the right words to say at the right time, right? Sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to prompt us on when it's time to speak. When it's time to speak truth. When it's time to listen. When it's time to respond. 
And Jesus spoke with tact to this woman. Isaac Newton defined tact as the art of making a point without making an enemy. Sometimes we need to speak truth without pushing the person away. We need to have humility when we share. I know in my life, the truth is, I'm not any better than an unbeliever. My own righteousness is filthy rags. We are, we, are, we are all in need of a Savior. God doesn't love me any more than He loves anyone else outside these doors or anywhere else in this world. It's not that I have some kind of special angle, but when I was in college, we were really privileged to have the author Brennan Manning come and speak in one of our, uh, uh, our chapels, which was just incredible. And one of the things he said stuck with me, and I still remember it to this day. He said this, he said, Really, I'm just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We aren't snobby. We aren't coming in like hoity-toity, I've got this all figured out. It, the truth is, we all need a Savior. We all need hope. I found bread. Let me tell you where you can find bread. The bread of life. The bread that can restore. The bread that can bring you back to salvation. To, to knowing God. This is what we're talking about with humility. We're all beggars. We just happen to find bread. Let's share the good news. And Jesus continues talking with the woman. Jump down. We're going to jump down a couple paragraphs to verse 25. They go on talking about some religious things. And then in verse 25 it says, The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jumping down to verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So Jesus has this interaction. He speaks truth to her. She hears this. She's grappling with it. She responds and she goes back to the village and tells everybody, Here's the, here's the important thing we need to understand. We can't underestimate the power of one. We like to think of the masses. We like to think of preaching to the big groups, the, the, the multitudes, the crowds. I, I mean, consider how big the world is. There are almost 8 billion people in our world. I can't wrap my mind around the number 8 billion. 8 billion people in our world. But the power of the one. One soul. Jesus gives the illustration of leaving the 99 to find the one. The value of that one that is found. The, the, we, we like to think of all these, but Jesus did. He spoke to the multitudes, right? He spoke to groups of thousands of people. And, and uh, they, they would gather. They would gather so much that they pushed him out to where he had to stand on a boat to speak to them. They pushed so much that they pushed him into a house where no one could even get through. He was used to being around the crowds. But in this moment, he spoke to the one. The value of talking and connecting with the one. Don't underestimate the value of connecting with that one person. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just so much work, it's so much effort. The one matters. The one matters. And he stops and speaks to this woman. And in verse 39 it says that the woman goes back and tells the the, the village and it says in verse 39 that many from that village believed in Jesus because of what had happened in that woman's life. There's a multiplication that happens when we invest in the one but we need to be faithful with who God brings into our life. Here's the deal. This call is a call to all of us, church. We are all to be fishers of men. It wasn't, Peter, you're a fisher of men, and everyone that follows you 2,000 years down the road just really hope that they kind of reap the rewards of that. 
It's not New Life Church as an organization is a fisher of men. It's not Pastor Brent or Pastor Ty or Pastor Donnie or, or anyone else that's fisher of men. We are all fishers of men. We are called to go out and be purposeful. This is a call to all of us. And we need to stop going to church. We're not called to go to church. You see, we go to basketball games. We go to a wedding. We go to a movie. And when we go... We observe, we consume, we experience. And attending a church is vital, it's important, but our highest calling isn't to go to church. Our highest calling is to be the church. See, New Life Church, this is our city. Springfield is our city. And New Life Church has been planted here on 19th Street in Springfield for a purpose, because this city is our responsibility. That weighs heavy on me. This city is our responsibility. We've been put here for a purpose. We are Jesus' plan A and there is no plan B. This rests on us. We are evangelists. We are people that are called to bring the good news. When we say that we love where we live, we aren't just talking about that we love the cost of living or the economy or the public works that are here or the education system in the school districts. We are saying we love the city because Jesus loves our city. And we want to see every person in the city come to know the eternal hope that we carry within us. That's why we love our city. And so we've been put here for a purpose. One day I want to look back and see that I didn't just spend, spend my time and my energy preaching and, and imploring that we go home and say, that was good, we'll see it next week and fill a chair and hopefully you know, the numbers grow and we just continue to see the church grow. But rather we go out with purpose seeing the lost one for Jesus. That we go out with purpose as called people that are called to the mission field, called to go and be fishers of men, drawing people to the Father, drawing people to, to hope. And it's a good thing to do. It's a thing of reward. Jesus finishes this segment. The disciples come back. They're like, what happened? You know, there's all these Samaritans coming from the village. I imagine they were partly horrified. They're like, why are you hanging out with all these people? But Jesus sees all these souls that are coming to salvation. And in verse 35 of the chapter 4, he says this. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. I didn't know the saying. That's one that apparently they knew. So he says, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits for both the planter and the harvester alike. The harvest is people brought to eternal life. That's our job. That's our calling. I'm sure he's going, disciples, why aren't you getting this? I'm doing what we're supposed to be doing. Look at all the people that are hungry. We are in a world of hungry people. People that are coming to a well over and over trying to fill that space, fill that void. They're hungry and we have the answer. It's ready. It's the harvest is ready. Let's be workers in the harvest field. Let's be workers, church. We're called to it. The harvest is plentiful. Wake up, look around, and it's valuable to go to. It's, value, it's got value. It's, 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 you, you feel completely... Uh, he says, he says uh, the harvesters are paid good wages. There's a fulfillment to serving in the harvest. And he's chosen us. Some of you might say, but Pastor Brent, I'm so unqualified. In terms of fishing, I'm probably a fisherman like you, Brent. That's not a very good fisherman. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I, I, I'm good enough. 
I feel like I have a lot of warts. There's just a lot of inconsistency in my life. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm getting more and more like Christ, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm there yet. Can I tell you something that's given me a lot of peace in my life, because I know God uses me, that God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And He will use you to bring people to Jesus. He can use you in magnificent ways. God can use us despite our, 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 our uh, shortcomings, despite where we might feel we lack. Because the truth is, the ability to bring people to salvation isn't in ourself. That's the good news. Sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves, like, I've got I've to save this person. No, you don't. Because when the Bible talks about people that are lost, it uses words like deaf and blind and dead. And all of those require a miracle. If you had someone up here that was dead, there's nothing I could do. It would require a miracle. And so when we're talking about the lost, the spiritually lost, our job is to bring the good news, right? Our job is to bring, bring the hope. Because as, as, as you know, um, the, in, the book, in the book of Romans, it says, how can people believe in him if they've never heard about him? Our job is to bring the word. But then when we do that, when we bring the good news, the Holy Spirit can do his work. God can draw people to himself, but we need to be responsible with our part because they can't believe if they haven't heard. So our job is to tell the good news so the miracle can happen. But let me tell you, it's going to require courage. This is something that requires courage. And so this week, I'm going to issue, I am issuing, last service I did the same thing, I'm issuing a challenge, a real one, an actual, like, measurable challenge to everyone in this room. And it includes me in it. And it scares me a little bit. But we're going to do this together as a church. Challenge is this. Go to a neighbor's house that you don't know or maybe barely know and introduce yourself. We have an automatic garage door and I love it because I can drive straight into my house and not even look at anyone. And I'm in my kitchen then. It takes inconvenience to go out of our way and introduce ourselves to someone we don't know. Maybe it's uncomfortable. But here's, this is, I mean it, this is a real challenge for you. Think of a specific neighbor, a specific person that you are going to introduce yourself to. Don't, don't just think, you know, oh, it's some, you know, I'm, I will meet someone on, you know, somewhere around my neighborhood. Think of that specific, if you, if you don't know their name, maybe you know them vaguely. If you don't know their name, think of what they look like. Think of the house. It's the neighbor that always leaves their trash cans right in front of my driveway. Whatever it might be, that particular neighbor, bring them to mind. And this week, with me, with me, because I'm with you in this, let's commit ourselves to introduce ourselves. Knock on the door, say, hey, I just wanted to say, my name's such and such. I live across the street. Just wanted to introduce myself. I don't think we've gotten the chance to know each other. Maybe you're forward enough. Maybe you know them well enough. You could say, hey, do you want to come by for a barbecue this week? Start the conversation. Start the relationship. Start developing and stepping out of those comfort zones. Um, For some of us, and I think it's actually a very easy thing to do, is to say, by the way, if there's anything ever I can pray for you about, just let us know we're Christians. That's super easy to do. And it immediately opens the door. It doesn't put pressure on them. But it lets them know that you are a follower of Jesus. So right now, what I want us to do, we're going to do our connection cards in a moment. You can do it now with me if you like. Get out that connection card. It's, there's a digital one at nlcchurch.com connect. Or get out a piece of paper and write down how you will identify that particular neighbor that you're going to meet, that you're going to go out and introduce yourself to. Because right now, we are 
prepping the lines. We are being intentional. We aren't just going out and just kind of vaguely saying we're fishing for men, but rather we are being purposeful, as Jesus said. So right now, write down that person, and we're going to start this week by praying for that person. Saying, God, give me opportunities. Bring them into my sphere. God, I pray that you would give me an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. I pray, God, that even if it causes inconvenience, that I would be able to hear from them, hear their story, be able to converse with them, let them know that they matter to me, and begin that process. I want you to imagine, church, right now. Imagine with me a hundred people this week. A hundred people introducing themselves to a hundred neighbors and starting that conversation. Starting that friendship, starting that relationship. It's an incredible thought. Let's do it now. Let's do it together. And let's come back and we'll celebrate what God is doing and we'll continue praying for that neighbor because, again, as we continually have them in our purveyance, as we continually have them in our prayers, the things that we often overlook, the things we oversee, suddenly those those opportunities will become so much more clear. And be ready to share the gospel then when the time comes. One of the most powerful tools you have in your arsenal is your personal testimony. Your story of what Jesus has done in your life. Some people have some incredible testimonies. And some people like mine, maybe you would consider it a little more vanilla. Maybe it's a little less exciting. But can I tell you, if Jesus is Lord of your life, he has saved you from a whole lot, no matter what your story You have a great hope to share. You have a great testimony to share. So share what Jesus has done in your life because people love to hear stories. Be ready to share it. And when that time comes, be ready to share the gospel and prepare yourself. And here's the gospel in the simplest terms. God created everybody and gave us free will to choose whether or not we were going to serve God or serve ourselves. And at some point, every one of us have chosen our own way and turned away from God, and that's sin. No one has lived a perfect life. We've all chosen wrong at some point, and it's separated us from God because God is perfect. And we can no longer have communion with God. We can no longer know God. But the good news is, despite the fact that we all have sinned, all have been separated from God, God loves sinners. And He sent His Son to die for us in our place because when we sin, what we're left with is death. It's separation from God. But Jesus came, His Son, He lived a perfect life, and He died for us, so that we don't have to die. And he took all our sin upon himself, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And we serve a risen God, a a God who loves us. And, And through Jesus, through the resurrected Jesus, we can know him. And by accepting him into your heart, you can have a new life. That's it in the simplest terms. You don't have to know every verse in the, in the Roman road or whatever it might be, but just to share what Jesus did for us and how we can have that life and then pray with him inviting Jesus into their heart to forgive them of their sins and then walk with them as a disciple maker because disciples make more disciples. That's how it works. That's how it works. So right now, let's respond. Let's respond as a church. So first, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The first thing I want us to do is as I just shared what what the whole plan of salvation is in a nutshell how Jesus came after us and so that we could have life. He came and pursued us with his love. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and I want to give you that opportunity. I never want a service to pass that you don't have the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. So if you've never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ, you've been running a long ways from him and you need to 
come back to Him today. If that's you and you've heard why we've talked about and compelled each other to tell the good news and you're like, why is this good news? And you hear this and you want that good news in your heart. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus today, would you raise your hand and raise it high? I want to pray with you. Raise it, raise it, raise it. All right. Church, together, will you pray this with me? Say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming after me. Thank you for pursuing me with your love. Thank you for taking my sin and dying on the cross in my place and living again so I can have life. I invite you into my heart, Jesus. Forgive me my sins. I choose to follow you from this day forward. You will be my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. 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 Finally, I just want to pray over us, church. God would give us boldness. That's what we prayed last week. But let's again pray for that boldness and for opportunities that we wouldn't miss them, all right? Lord, I pray with your church today. I pray, Father, that we would be given opportunities that we didn't see before. Where we've been so harried and rushed through life, God, I pray that we would see the moments that you put before us. That in the inconveniences, we would see the chance for salvation. That in the day-to-day, your grace would show its opportunity to shine through in our life, God. And I pray for divine appointments with people and for courage and boldness. That your church would be filled with boldness as it was in Acts chapter 4. That we would wait on you for fire and the Holy Spirit would fill us. And we thank you for it, Lord. In your precious name, amen, amen, amen. Well, this morning, there's one, uh, one or two things we're going to do before we close. Um, Pastor Donnie, Jennifer, would you join me up here? For the past uh, five years, we've had the privilege of Pastor Donnie and Jennifer being a part of our team. Donnie has been a, a wonderful uh, colleague and beyond that, friend. And uh, it's been a joy to serve alongside these, these, this wonderful family, these two. Uh, Jennifer has served so faithfully in, in small group ministry and um, so many different areas um, that pastor's wives don't sign up for, but they get, they get to serve. Um, but uh, as we've seen, just God work in their lives so, so profoundly, reaching countless students and young people for Christ in our, in our congregation. Unfortunately, other people notice their, their uh, gifts and abilities too. And, uh, and contacted them and, and, uh, and lured them away. No, no, I, I kid. God has really opened an opportunity for, for Donnie and Jennifer and the Waite family that we are so excited for, and we're excited for them. And so they have accepted a position in northeastern Oregon, and they're going to be, uh, next Sunday will be their final Sunday here with us as they get ready to head to northeastern Oregon to what God has opened up for them. And so we celebrate with you while we are sorrowful that we, we lose you. We know that you guys are going to be used in just powerful ways. And so, um, church, can we pray for Donnie and Jennifer today? And over the next couple of weeks, uh, this week and next week, make sure you should tell them all that they've meant to you and what, what they've done in your life because uh, sometimes it's far, said far too little what, uh, what, what an impact people have. So can, can we all pray for Donnie and Jennifer and the family right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for this wonderful family, Lord. I thank you for Donnie and for Jennifer, Lord. 
and for what you've placed in their heart, and you brought them to this church for this season. What an amazing time we've seen of ministry. What an amazing time of young people coming to Christ, lifelong followers of Jesus, as Donnie's calling was, that we've seen young people following, making the decision to follow Jesus with their whole life for the rest of their life. And Lord, I pray as they get ready to go, all contingencies would be made just clear. That uh, everything would be prepared, every step would be so clear that you would light a path for them, Lord. We pray that ministry in this new place would be so profound and so great, God. I pray that it would be beyond what they had even imagined, Lord. That you would open doors that they would have not predicted and that you would show them amazing things, Lord. I pray for, for Donnie and for Jennifer, Lord. We pray for David and for Cassie as they begin in new schools and new environments, Lord. And for Zeke and for Caleb, God, for Elijah, Lord, for this whole wonderful family that is so loved. I pray, God, that you would just pour your blessings over them. And we pray a profound and mighty blessing of God. And we thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Amen. Amen. Now, Donnie, there's something about Donnie. He's a, uh, he's not a throw it all on my shoulders, I'll just get it done guy. He's a team builder. He's a legacy leaver. And uh, we are going into our Wonder Camp without missing a step. He's not going to be here leading Wonder Camp, but he has raised up leaders, and there's leaders that, there are leaders that have come around him that are incredible. We have Blake and we have Sarah that have taken on uh, just an amazing role in our, in our children's ministry. And so they have not missed a step. I don't know if you were here a couple Thursdays ago, but the Holy Spirit fell when we were in a training meeting, and we had church. It was amazing. There was a prayer, prayer service that broke out. It was incredible. And God is going to use this Wonder Camp in amazing ways. And so uh, we, we are so excited for Wonder Camp coming up the 20th. 25th through 27th. If you haven't signed up, I don't know what's wrong with you. Get on, get on, get on board, okay? I'm giving you this last Sunday to sign up. Let us know on your connection card. Fill out a second one if you need to. Let us know that you're going to serve at Wonder Camp, okay? Um, it's going to be an incredible time. We, um, we are going to next Sunday have everybody who's serving at Wonder Camp wear their yellow Wonder Camp shirt. I accidentally told people the wrong week. There's some people, I apologize, told them the wrong week. And so next week, they're going to be wearing the same wardrobe, um, um, so next week, wear your Wonder Camp shirt. If you have if signed up to serve and you weren't able to make it to one of the meetings, or maybe you came to the first one and didn't, didn't get your shirt, we're going to have a team member right across the hall in room B here. That's this room right across this door, through these doors here, ready to give you your shirt and your water bottle. Go grab one so that next Sunday, this room can be filled with just a sea of yellow. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. It's going to look like a duck game in here. Okay? So, um... So go get your shirts. We are going to be so excited for what God is going to do in Wonder Camp. We're getting ready to go with that. Um, finally, uh, let's see here. We're going to do our connection cards and tithes and offerings. So let's do our connection cards. If this is your first time, let us know. We will uh, be in touch to say thank you. Um, we will uh, be giving a donation on your behalf to an organization called Feed One that brings the hope of Jesus into the world um, and also meets felt needs. But on top of that, we just want to say thank you for being here. If you don't have a place you call home, we hope you consider New Life Church your church family. And uh, so fill out your connection cards. Let us know what we can be praying with you about. We want to agree with you on those things. Uh, with that said, let's give with joyful hearts. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done, that you're doing today, that you are working in our hearts, that we aren't content with just going, getting through by and by, just kind of going through our week. But God, you have called us to be fishers of men, that we are... We have a, a profound calling upon our lives, as you say in 2 Corinthians, that we are your ambassadors, that we are here to bring the good news of the gospel to our world. And Lord, I pray that right now, 
as an act of obedience and giving, we would see your kingdom continue to grow. We invest in eternal things. We invest in things that last far longer than when our clothes will wear out or our cars will break down, but things that will last forever. And right now, we thank you that we get to be participants in that. We thank you, Jesus. Multiply it many times over in souls that will enter into your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's get it. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, but to your name. Church, have a great week. Sign up for Wonder Camp, wear your shirt next.